we're now in that stretch when uh, I, I think it's just fascinating. We we get that there's uh, there's a lot of years from Camorra till the time that that Moroni will seal the place, and, and we may not talk about too much about the fact that what's sealed on earth is sealed in heaven, and, and yet we're sealing the the records in the in the hill, and they are sealed up to God, and only those the keys can unlock what's sealed and and all that. But it, it, what we're really getting is kind of his last will and testament. It's like the very last thing. Because at this point, who's he writing to? I mean, the Lamanites are running around. The Nephites are all dead. Um, uh, there may be some of the, the Ammonites, the anti-Nephi Lehi still left. But for the most part, this is our story. So it's like, what do I want to include in here for the generations that, that are so far down the line. Um, and and it, I think it's, it's quite a tribute that he says, you know what, I'm going to include a couple of letters from my dad uh, along with this. So, if we can, if we can start today, if we can turn to uh, Moroni 8, All right. Who's got uh, Who's got verse four? Any of you got verse four? Okay. And now, my son, I speak unto you concerning that which grieveth me exceedingly, for it grieveth me that there should disputations arise among you. And and five. For if I have learned the truth, there have been disputations among you concerning the baptism of your little children. Okay. Now we actually have two problems here. Two problems packed into one. What's the first problem? They're arguing. They're arguing. They are disputations. Um, somebody, somebody want to hop over to Third Nephi eleven twenty-eight. So you got that? Uh huh. Twenty-eight. Third Nephi eleven twenty-eight to thirty. if you will, directed against the church is the fact that Mormons are just a bunch of sheeple. <laughs> you know, we just kind of do what we're told and we're just kind of bland and we're vanilla and there's no room in this church for intellectual discussion and, and kind of intellectual debate and the ability to, to walk through issues and uh, how would you respond to that? You know, the fact that if, if there's going to be discussion, uh, like in gospel doctrine, shouldn't we be able to debate the issues of the day and to be able to kind of sort of intellectually drive ourselves farther than just where we are? I was reading a nice article by President Tom Packer last night. Uh-huh. And he would say, playing the devil's advocate is you're the devil. Why would you... <laughs> 
And yet we want to do that, don't we? We want to say, well, let me play the devil's advocate for just a second. Let me present the other side. You know, let's say that Jesus was never really crucified. We're just, it's just a nightmare. Things like um, creating lists of the faults of the prophets, creating lists of the mistakes of the prophets. I know sometimes in here we've talked about the mistakes of the prophets, mm -hmm. but you know it's kind of like in reading that, I thought, you know, what I like is you usually bring it around to the positive side. <laughs> yeah. But those coming out of kind of rigorous intellectual college type thing, they're look are they looking for debate? Are they looking for discussion? Well, I think too, I mean if, if people just want to argue, well the spirit's not going to be there. And the reason that we go to church is to have the spirit there. And as far as being able to look at and examine and really get to the nitty-gritty logical explanation of different things, you know, Brigham Young told us that it is our duty to have a personal testimony of everything. Yeah, right. So we're obligated to have personal testimony. We're obligated not to be sheep. We're obligated not to follow blindly. We have an obligation not to do that. It's where your heart is when you're asking the question. Yeah. Does that make sense? When, when we get into, and he kind of alludes to this, doesn't he? When he's talking about disputations, he's talking about uh, where are you coming from? What's driving the questions? I did. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It seems to me that this point in, in their history, that there's, everything was a disputation. And I'm surprised that the Mormon would pick out this one disputation to preach a listering. This is a blip. And we're about to talk about why this particular one in just a second. But, but yeah, there, that's why I say there's two, there's two problems here. One, the fact that there are disputations in the first place. And then you're right. He's going after, I mean, you think Jacob going after adultery was bad. And, you know, Jacob, wait till you see this one. Okay, well stop for a second. In normal, in normal parts, if we go into a college setting, how do you discover truth? How, how's truth found? Dis disputing, discussion, scholarly things, back and forth. In the gospel, how do we discover truth? Through the Holy Ghost, and where our heart is, and through prophets. And the prophet, again, that's where those outside the church looking for something more intellectually driven are going to say, yeah, but they're old. <laughs> and of course they're going to say that. They're going to tell you the party line. That's our problem when sometimes when people are saying, I want to challenge to see if the church is really true. So I don't want to read the church line because I know what I'm going to hear. I have to, I have to <laughs> read those on the other side who are going to give me a more balanced, fair look at what the doctrine of the church is. <laughs> oh, sure. I'm just looking for a man. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, disputations are the reason there are so many churches. The discussion, you know, the where did all the, the Nicene Creed and all those things come from? Discussions. They couldn't decide. They made a compromise. They fought it out. This was in, this was out. And that's 
Where did we get where did we get the Nicene Creed? Because everywhere, nowhere, three, one, one, three, here, there, there, inside us, but there, over there. How did we get that? You guys sitting around talking about it. Yeah, they brought everybody in, but they controlled the discussion a little bit. Uh, people that may have had differing viewpoints weren't invited to the conference. Absolutely not. We're only going to get the ones that are going to toe our line. Okay? That's why I love the, the phrase that says, God loved us and he sent a committee. <laughs> yeah. At, 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 at the Council of Men. There's so many different Christian beliefs get in a room and decide what they are. Yeah, it was. But again, remember, he was controlling it because certain uh, from certain leaders of certain churches weren't invited to the to the party. So we're going to make sure we're going to stack the deck before the discussion even starts. And it was there was political goals here. So when we start talking about disputations, um, a few years ago I had a man, and I've probably mentioned this before, um, uh, we had, a, we had a, a very, very smart guy in, in a ward that I was in, and, and he, was, he was very intellectually driven, and I would watch him specifically in, uh, in, in our high priest group, because what he loved to do was like throw out little time bombs. Toss it out there and then watch everybody fight. <laughs> and I watched him do that a, a, a few times. And he would throw something out and everybody would go, <laughs> and then he would never make another comment. He was just sitting back enjoying the show. Uh, what a deal. Well, then I called his gospel doctrine teacher. <laughs> and, he, and he hoisted one of those bombs on me in the middle of class. You know, what about? And he just threw it out there. And I grabbed it, and I went and I took it, I moved in the direction I wanted to go, and we had a wonderful, nice discussion. And he kind of watched, and the next week, he did the same thing. What about? And I said, got it. And, and you know, and, and that reminds us of how we do this, and then this, and, then, and you know, and follow the prophets, and stuff like that. And about the second time he did that, that's when he came up after me, he went, you may be the best gospel talk, gospel teacher I've ever seen. <laughs> Which really means I'm not handling your little time bombs. Yeah. But the goal was, where was his heart? Pride, disputing. Yeah, so it wasn't in a, really a search for truth, it was a search for Trump. his own gratification. Yeah. The, the question about sheep, I think it's a compliment. I'm oh, I'm a very proud sheep. Say your test to be a shepherd. Yeah, and we're kind of in the sheep fold. I mean, he used that. You say, well, that was a pastoral reference. He was using words that would be common to the people, and they would understand that. How many more people are, are responding to that in common day that we've never even touched the sheep? It was more directed to us. And you're right, there's a sense of being sheeple and that you guys will just do whatever uh, you're being told. Well, see, if we look at He that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil of the father of contention. He stirreth up what? The hearts of men. In other words, 
it is about where our heart is. And if we're going to balance that with Mosiah 3.19, the goal is, as we go through here, to become as a saint, and then listen to the discussion, listen to what the description of a saint is. Through the atonement of Christ the Lord, becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict. Fit to inflict upon him. Wow. That sounds pretty sheeplish, doesn't it? And yet the goal is to become, when we covenant in a temple, to bring forth Zion. And what is Zion? Pure the pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? No contention, for one thing. Sheeple, basically. Yeah. If someone has never tried to be submissive and meek and feel what that actually feels like, it's just, there's no comparison. I mean, but their view of it, they've never been right. that way. Their view of it. Well, you're supposed to become submissive, but what does that mean? Weakness, walked over, stomped on, taken advantage of, hurt on a regular basis. You know, 
if there's if there's a sense of uh, if this man is a prophet, because that's the, that's the, well, if President Wilson told you to jump off the cliff, would you? See, you're just sheeple. You just do whatever the prophet tells you. Well, once I have a testimony, I might. And and the, there you go. If I got a if he told me to jump off a cliff, and I got a confirmation that I was supposed to do it, would I jump off a cliff? Well, then, oh, okay. There is that part, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, because there is that sense that says we do believe he's a prophet. Why are people so worried about Mitt Romney? Because they're that he's going to become a prophet, yeah, and or well, in fact, actually, you know what? I did see Washington Post. I don't know if you guys saw this article. If Mitt doesn't get the nomination, he could be the next president of the Mormon Church. <laughs> Everybody else is old. He's got executive experience. <laughs> Like minor problems there, but okay. <laughs> but that is that sense, because outside of understanding that we can get a confirmation, that we have a prophet, if someone says, you're going to join a group, or you're going to do whatever that leader tells you to do, well, if you're going to do that, then that makes you a blind sheeple, right? How would you characterize Oh, I love that. What did he say? He says, what about those following the herd mentality of, of what the world says, you know, who are waiting patiently for here comes the Paris fashion show so that we'll know what? What to wear. And in other words, they're, all of that time they spend bashing those that are following a prophet do exactly, I think that's a wonderful point, that there is a herd mentality that will follow that says, uh, if I'm not sure what to believe about anything political, I just watch John Stewart. And whatever John Stewart says, that's what I believe. Okay? Well, um, unfortunately, you've been reporting in universities. You know, I went to university, it was both sides were presented. You were fair minded if you heard those That's things. right. Not anymore. If you don't agree with what the professor says, you're going to get a bad grade and you're going to be ridiculed and humiliated. Yeah, we're doing it. Yeah. A question I have for someone that will call us. Or, or what about the children of Israel? Okay, it's the Red Sea. The wind has kind of moved things out of the way. Go walking. Well, how dumb is that? You know, there is a certain amount of irrationality that goes with this. Uh, okay. So here, here's problem number one that Moore was trying to address. Number one, you have disputations among you. It's of the devil. Uh, he stirs up the hearts to contention. Uh, because what happens is an amazing amount of, when we're listening to the Spirit, the Spirit is giving us truth all at the same time. We're on the same page. Uh, that's why I think it's always amazing to people when it's, uh, again, we get a new bishop. You know, and it's like we go from, we love this bishop, and then he's released, and here comes a new bishop, and automatically, he's the, he's the new bishop, and now we're following him. And it just is this smooth transition. 
Um, so that was problem number one. No disputations. Now, number two, look what fight he chooses to pick. Alright, somebody got uh, Moroni 18, 8, 8, 8, 19, and 20. Okay, you got that. Little children cannot repent, wherefore it is awful wickedness to deny the pure mercies of God unto them, for they are all alive in him because of his mercy. And he saith that little children need baptism, does he? And he saith that little children need baptism, denieth the mercies of Christ, and setteth that not the atonement of him and the power of his redemption. Are you going to 23 also? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Alright, now, um, let, look at, let, let, let's, just, let's just go through and, and, and mention some of the things that he's saying about this. Verse 6, my son, I, I desire you labor diligently that this gross error should be removed. Um, look at 9. Uh, my beloved son, I know that it is solemn mockery. Um, then look at 14. This, this is sweet. And, and I, I don't find any other time with any other doctrine that you get this one. Look at this. Behold, I say unto you, he that supposeth that little children need baptism is in the gall of bitterness... And in the bonds of iniquity, he hath neither faith, hope, nor charity. Therefore, and listen to this, should he be cut off while in the thought, he must go down to hell. Oh, my. Okay, so, I guess my question here is, why is infant baptism. Why is the idea of infant baptism so not just not just important but incredibly important to the point that if you're even thinking that and die you're going to hell. Yeah. The reason that it says in the thought is because he has excommunicated himself from from the love of God and grace and Okay, there's something about this doctrine we love in a lot of our discussions, even, even in the churches, to limit God. Yeah. You know, only this. You know, it's only in children this uh, this is category can be taken. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna so so some of this is you're right, it's a limiting thing that we're doing that's gonna separate us from God. Yeah. Well it's denying his whole plan and his atonement. Oh. Okay. In fact, let's look now at twenty-three. It is mockery before God, denying the mercies of Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost, and putting trust in dead works. What does he mean by that? If you're believing in infant baptism, you're putting your trust in dead works. It has no meaning. It's what? Where there's no saving power, where? Okay. If you're 
believing in... Now, by the way, there's a possibility, Cindy and I were talking about this this morning, is there a chance that Moroni was doing this? Don't know. Because how do they know how bad this is? Go back to verse... Look at 7. Immediately after I learned these things of you, I found out that you were doing infant baptisms. Or at least teaching it. Or believing it. After I learned these things of you, I inquired of the Lord concerning the matter. Mormon didn't know for sure either. So I went to the Lord and I got what prophets do. I got a revelation. And the word of the Lord came unto me by the power of the Holy Ghost, saying, verse 8, Listen to the words of Christ, your Lord and your God. Behold, I came into the world not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The whole need no physician, but they that are sick. And little children are whole. They are not capable of committing sin. Therefore the curse of Adam, that fallenness and everything coming to fallen man is taken from them that it hath no power over them and the law of circumcision is done away in me. Okay? I got a revelation about how bad this is. Yeah. When I was 17, that just tells you how you feel about children. They are so special that they don't require anything until they take them on. Yes. Yeah, and what, what is there about little children? They're like him. They, they are clean, they are pure, and to say that somebody is, is, is dirty, when he says they're clean, it, and, 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 and you're trying to say that the atonement hasn't affected them, that's where, that's where you're going to get his attention
if you're doing infant baptisms, what are you denying? Grace. Grace. You're denying the gift. And we're about to talk in large measure, that's what first chapter 10 is. It's about gifts. Yeah. Well, it put all the emphasis on the symbolism of doing it. Right. Instead of on what it's representing. I think that's part of it. But part of it is a misunderstanding of saying, because they are born fallen, that if, if they should die before the baptism happens, then somehow somehow the Lord's atonement can't reach out and, and save them. You are denying grace. And the gift given. Yeah. But also there's a lot of high mortality rate in infancy. Oh man. So weren't, don't you think that that was the reason that this came about? Did it baptized before they died? Oh, I like that. The, the one of the reasons they may have been doing that because they were dying so early and we hurry and baptize them. But, but still, it's misunderstanding how grace is applied. But it's like, you're right, that, that physical act, must have, we've got to hurry and get that done. And if we think they're going to die early, then let's do it when they're like six months old. Okay? Yeah? I'm not sure, but I think some of the churches would require some money. I think it would take more of... There's a little incentive there, too. Yeah, we, we can provide another service. Okay, yeah, yeah. Along with the indulgences, we'll take care of the baby and we'll pay it. We'll do your, your sins on the pay ahead plan. Yeah. And if you don't understand baptism for the dead. You can see where you would go. Okay. Now, let me take this one step farther because there's a, there's a critical principle here that I, I, I want, that I think is very, very applicable to us. And if, and if we've had a running theme going during this semester, let me come back to this same theme. It's one of those things that I feel obviously pretty strong about. What God has cleansed, he said to Peter, Call not thou unclean. I've changed that word. But that's basically what he's saying. What God has cleansed. Call not thou unclean. Because otherwise you are doing what? You're denying grace. I have cleansed. Don't you call it unclean. Infant baptisms. But, brothers and sisters, how many of us continue to beat ourselves up for our past sins. At what point have you been declared clean? That, that you repented and the Spirit was there and the Spirit said, I have forgiven you and then years later, what are you doing? You continue to not deny the grace of God. He says, I declared you clean. Well, I'm still not sure if I'm worthy to this calling, or I'm worthy to give answers to prayers, or I'm worthy to be in it. Really? Tell me how far removed this is from infant baptism. Are we in the same ballpark? He, he said you were clean. You repented. You did it. It was bad. You repented. The bishop was in on it. He called you clean. You are clean. And when you continue to beat yourself up later on, you're saying, in my case, grace wasn't, I'm, I'm going to deny 
the gift. We're going to talk about that in Romans 10. What is it about the human psyche that does that? That's a good question. Why is it that we want to do that? I think that's one of Satan's tools. I think it is one of Satan's tools to tell you that you're still not clean. Okay? Why else? Why would we do that to ourselves? Because this is, this is pretty common, isn't it? We continue to hang on to stuff. He's declared us clean and we just cannot let go of that. Insufficient faith. Yeah. Insufficient faith in what? In the atonement. In the atonement. Again, Romans 10 is going to say, um, um, hop over for just a second to Look at verse 8 in Moroni 10. And again I exhort you. We're going to talk about the seven exhorts. Some of you have seen my PowerPoint. It's not extortions. Not the seven extortions. Yes, I got that cleaned up this morning for those of you who are wondering. And again, I exhort you, my brethren, that ye what? Do not deny the gift. Why would any, if somebody's trying to give you a gift, why would you deny that? Why would anybody deny a gift, let alone the gift of God? Fear of what? We're still not good enough, we don't deserve the gift. Is that a negative negative pride. Yeah, I think pride in there is like, everybody else is bad, but I'm really good. I'm kind of outside of that. Yeah. Overdeveloped independence. <laughs> A sense of overdeveloped independence. Uh, that's good. That's a, I can do this on my own. And we got like three or four year old. I can dress myself. You know, my grandson shows up the other day with his shoes on the wrong feet, you know, and his feet are wanting to go in different directions. Put your shoes on yourself today? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's not working well, is it? I don't know why. But I dressed myself. Yes, you did. Hey. <laughs> yeah, thank you. If I accept the gift, then I'm responsible for what? I got to do something with it. So if I got to take that on, I got to I got to hold that with me. Yeah. Because I'll screw it up. Because that's what I do. But part of that is because I'm denied that the grace of God can help me do that. It's just going to be on my own. And my shoes end up on the wrong feet when I do that. Yeah. And I think too, then you're going to feel like you owe that person back. They give you something, then you're obligated to then give something back to them. So it seems it's not even. Oh. It's Christmas time, right? <laughs> you ever have that experience like, like on Christmas Sunday, if somebody's giving you a gift and you go, ah, oh, I didn't give them anything. <laughs> Now I've got to run out and pick something up at the last minute. I wasn't planning on giving you a gift. You gave me a gift. And not only that, it's a good gift, so I can't just like a, you know, get a couple pieces of candy. 
you've got to be a good one. To, because now as an equalizer thing, you gave a gift to me. Oh, that, that's a perfect analogy because then, then the Savior is going to try and give us a gift and we're going to go, oh, well, I don't deserve it. Or, now I've got to work really hard and be responsible because it was a big gift He gave me, so I have to somehow balance out the gift that He gave me. So I've got to spend the rest of my life trying to balance this thing out. So on the cosmic scales, it weighs just fine. He gave me a big, and so I did a big. Oh, what we do to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how we do afterwards. I think there comes a point in, hopefully, in saints' lives where they've repented, you know, pretty much of everything that needs it. And then there's this improvement phase after that, but we don't, we don't, we never talk about the crossover. You know, Ken, that, that is, that, that's... I ask you one more thing to repent of, because we're, as a church, we're stuck in pre-repentance. Boy, I like that. Because, but because what happens a lot of times, remember, and we're really good with primary and young women's class about saying, how do you repent? Under the seven R's, <laughs> you know, you know, and I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And we always leave out the most important R, Redeemer. You know, that he does that. And then the, I like, there's got to be another one that says, how is my life now different going afterwards that is actually part of that repentance? process, which is like, quit beating up on myself. Quit denying that grace was extended to me. That, I, that's a wonderful point. Okay? But we do that. So, part of this is, if I have to accept that he's given a gift, I may deny it, believing that somehow I have to somehow pay him back. And I, I mentioned this before, but let me just say it again. Brother and sister, it's the old, it's the it's the subtle problem that I have. The, the video that we have, a present Packers talk on the atonement, I think is wonderful. It's really well done. Where you know the, the guy and he and he was foolish and he and, and he lost the mortgage on his house and then here comes the the person that's going to intervene and pay for the mortgage. And then he says that he's going to set the terms. As if somehow, at some point, the boy in the, with the house is going to somehow pay the Savior back for having stepped in there. It's like when we go back to our parable of last week, you know, and the people in the village get this wonderful gift of the pipeline, and here's the water, and what does the Lord say? What does He want from them? Just love one another. There's no way you're going to ever be able to pay for the pipeline. All I wanted, I want, I gave it as a gift. It's a gift. Just love one another. But, but just love one another is not easy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Just love. That is something. Yeah. There is something tied to the gift. Well, there is. And based on the spirit, you may say, not only do you have the water, but, but I have a, a widow over here and I need to, I'm going to take wood water over here. That love is going to be translated into action. But, but we do that because we love, not because in, in our mind we're going, okay, I'm down $100 and that will pay back 5 bucks, and then over time I might be able to get paid back. It's like where your heart is. Like she said earlier. In the, in yeah. The, it's, it's, 
That the heart is, I'm just trying to serve and love. Yeah. Well, and everything that he asks us to do is all associated with more blessings that he gives us. It's more gifts, so it's not paying back. Oh, what a bummer God. that is. Isn't that amazing? So, so even when, so when I serve, you know, he gave me this wonderful gift. Now what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to love. So then I serve. Then what happens? More blessings. He gives me more blessings. And now I'm even farther behind in the ledger. Yeah. Also, it wasn't conditional. No. Exactly. In fact, he says the, the thing, and now we're back to the infant baptism, the thing that offends the God, God the most is when we do what? Deny the gift. Just deny the gift. And you may go for a while and he says, the pipeline's there, and maybe you do best intentions and you don't do very well at getting the water. But then at some point in your life you decide you really need that water, and you go do it and it's there. Just don't deny it. I've called you clean. You're clean. Let's stop there. Okay? Well, and that also, once again, takes us back to being like a little child and submitting to whatever the Father asks you to do. Your Father asks you to have all of these Christmas presents. What little kid is going to complain? <laughs> <laughs> or feel like he has to go out shopping? Okay, hold on. Mothers. <laughs> So, Mom, what do you want for Christmas? Good children. <laughs> I want, like, love and harmony in my home. <laughs> yeah. I really don't want anything. Other than... <laughs> uh, or, or the one that's always driven me nuts, you know, as, as a bishop, and I mentioned this before, you know, where family have some real needs, and it's like, Yes, but we're not going to ask the bishop for help. Really? I mean, the gift is there. It's not a payback thing. You're not borrowing from the ward to make your mortgage payment. It's a gift. We're going, yes, but we don't ask for anything, and so we can't ask for anything. And so how many times do you deny it? Or, or I love this one. You look so beautiful today. And what do you do? compliments like, wow, you look pretty. And, and it's like, thank you, cannot crawl out unless it has a disclaimer behind it. Thank you, but I've had this for five years and it's got a hole right here. You're looking wonderful. Yeah, but I still need to lose 20 pounds. You know, there is building this that, that somehow in there there's this pride thing that we're, I, and I get why we're afraid of becoming prideful. But somewhere in there we cross over too far and you won't even accept the gift. And you're wonderful. Thank you for your help. Oh, it was nothing. Come on, you gave up two days cleaning my house. It was something. Thank you. You're welcome. Accept the gift. But boy, but that's why I think this this has such applications at so many different levels for us. Okay? Now, any final comments on that? Because I will tap dance on this one again, I promise. <laughs> Maybe even next week. Yeah? There was an article in the Prudent some time ago by Brother Wilson, and his take on it is 
that at some point we will be accountable for the time that we have spent not accepting his grace. Really? We get caught up in not being worthy and if we could use that same time and energy in doing some stuff. Ah, I would love to see a copy of that article. That, that's very cool. Um, yeah. Can you clarify really, really clearly how it is the Lord declares us clean? Oh, okay. Let's do that. She said, clarify a little bit. How when you how do you know that you have been declared clean? It's actually tell you what, hold on to that one for next week. Because I think that because I think it has the same roots as why it is that we don't ex know that our prayers are being answered. Because sometimes we don't know what we're listening for. And and sometimes when that still small voice is there and because of past experiences we doubt ourselves. We doubt our ability to receive answers. And so even when you're feeling good and you've been pronounced clean, you were listening. Okay? That's a wonderful question. Yeah. Okay. Um, for all this one, but, um, okay, Mike, how do you know when to give the gift? You know, I think that that's where the disputations arise. You know, we know that baptism is not appropriate. We're right, right. We don't know that. And, and we don't want to all things care, but, you know, other people think as far as that goes, as long as you have the confirmation. But within your own home, you know, let's say you have a child that uh, consistently you know, blows money or whatever, and then the wife wants to give. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Are like, oh, I can teach them the lessons of life or whatever. Yet our hearts tell us to just give them and help them. Um, and, and yet the husband is a smart one, and he's like, you know, <laughs> I'm life. And, you know, where's that balance? Oh, I think that's where the disputations arise. Yeah, I didn't even go that direction. That's not bad. Same thing as scripture. I mean, I'm telling you, when I start reading No, that is a... That's right, because when we start talking about charity and the pure love of Christ, and not judging. that's not enabling. Yeah. That's not fixing. That is not, in fact, that's actually, when we enable, when we fix, that is not love. It's actually more about us not having to feel uncomfortable and not having to feel like we haven't done enough, when sometimes the most loving, caring thing that we do is, I love you, no. I love you, no more money. I love you, I'm not going to run you here. I love you, I'm not going to buy you that. I care about you enough not to do things for you. It's a, that is a harder step to take. And in the church, we struggle with that so much. That line between loving and fixing is hard. And, you know, and you Bishop struggle with it. I get calls from Bishop. We have these discussions. At what point have I given too much? At what point have I gone too far? Now we're coming back uh, to what we were just talking about, Corey, with, with that idea of when do I know? How do I know by, by the basis of the Spirit when I need to not provide help? That is a much, it's, it's an easier for things to just help until we burn out and, you know, and, and, and yet, and we keep somebody else weak and struggling. And, I mean, this is a whole topic for another time. That's a wonderful question. And I wish I thought about it. I folded it in here a little bit more. So, okay, Let, let's let's move ahead because there's another one, and it's actually part of this discussion. Because here's one you want to talk about a scripture that has been misunderstood. 
Verse 16. Woe unto them that pervert the ways of the Lord, that deny the gifts after this manner, for they shall perish except they repent. Behold, I speak with boldness, having authority from God, and I fear not what man can do, for perfect love casteth out fear. Therefore, if I am afraid, I am not loving. <laughs> if I am anxious, I am not loving. If I am fearful about something, I have sinned. <laughs> and believe me, this is walked in my office. <laughs> On more than one occasion. How would you tell somebody that's saying, because I'm fearful about my kids, or I'm fearful about my marriage, or I'm fearful about things, that somehow I am, I've completely lost the spirit, and I, and I have no love at all, therefore I've sinned. How would you answer that? Perfect love, Catholic. If you have love, you won't fear, right? <laughs> Thank you very much. But, yeah. them where to go to have the fear gone. It's just like when Christ calmed the seas. Have faith in me and your fear will go away. Right. And all of us, you know, we turn away from the Lord because we want to deal with it ourselves and we forget to go and pray. And so what you, I'm prayed for this, you know what? Pray about it. The Holy Ghost will come for you and you won't need to be afraid when you're working on this with the Lord. Here's one of the mistakes that we make with this. Because I do believe this. The more that we are filled with love, the less that we fear. Now I'm going to separate out a chunk for those that have some kind of clinical panic attack, anxiety, think that's not what this is talking about. You know, if you have panic attack and you're just trying to love your way past a panic attack, <laughs> I promise that ain't working. <laughs> it don't. Consult your professional. <laughs> But when we're talking about fear, and fearful about things coming in the future, and fearful about our kids, and fearful about our ability to parent or to serve in callings, or whatever that is, we, have, we almost talk about this as if it's an on and off switch. Today I'm, today I'm fearful, tomorrow I love. I was afraid today, now I love, I'm no longer fearful. Now I'm a loving being. How much of this time is such a blending of kind of going back and forth between feeling love and then at times that we're fearful and then we read the scriptures and we understand the doctrines better and we find that fear beginning to decrease and that, as that love increases. You see where that flows back and forth? But we want to make it an all or nothing kind of thing. As if, uh, it's possible for love and fear to exist in your heart at the same time to a different degree. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, but who has perfect love? Well, exactly. Thank you. And then we say the only ones that will fear are the ones who have perfect love. Well, we're in trouble because there's only one person that has perfect love. The rest of us are struggling. I, I find that as I as I fear things, if I take them to the Lord, you know, like in my morning prayers and so forth, that the day seems to be better. And in fact, it's kind of funny because sometimes I feel like I'm going to the Lord and saying, "Are you bored me with?" <laughs> I need some more help. But, but I'm still, I'm still there, 
and I'm struggling, but he picks you up, you know, and, and it's, it, it is, it, it's, they're separate, but they're also together. But think about that moment when we say, all right, I'm struggling, Heavenly Father, and now I've got my rocks. We were talking about, I got, and I'm taking it to the Lord, and I'm going to try and give it to you. And he said, I love you. And you start to feel that love, but then you start denying the gift. Yeah, but I don't deserve it, and I'm not worthy of it, and I have to keep doing more before I actually get a chance to do this. And other people are better, and I don't, you know. And then we start immediately discounting, and he's trying to love us, and it's our fear that does what? Denies the gift. Is it possible, brothers and sisters, that we may find out that, that the more we fear, the more we deny the gift? And that it's fear that causes us to deny the gift. That makes sense. It may have made some sense to me as I think about it. Okay? Alright. Yeah. Sometimes I think about feeling the fear but doing it anyway. How do you do that? How do you be fearful but keep moving? Sometimes that's what grace does. Grace is, remember with the, with the Jaredite barges, where's the grace in that, in that picture? It's the wind. It's the wind pushing things where it needs to get to. Now inside, you know, this is a fearful storm. Inside it might be more like, ah! the thing flipping around. Ah! But the grace is pushing it where it needs to get to. And then it calms down after a while. Grace gets us where we need to be. Yeah. I would think of, you know, one makes perfect. What makes perfect? Well, we all know what practice makes perfect. Uh-huh. Like you said, practice. Keep going. Every, like I tell my son, when he's trying to learn something new, practice. Every time you practice, you will get better. And in this case, what are you practicing doing? Loving. And trusting. I have to practice knowing that I can trust him and that he will make he will make it happen the way that it needs to. And I think that does take practice. And we're gonna fail and then we'll fear and then we'll fail and then we fear and then we trust more and we let some of that in and it goes a little bit better and then we fail and then we fear and then we try again and then he fills us with a little bit more and we're actually go, able to go a little bit farther and we have some nice experiences and we feel more spirit and then we become a little bit more mature spiritually we do better and then we get hit by a bigger wave and then we fear some more I mean it's just this process back and forth of all of this okay let's, let's move on oh Elder Maxwell with a doubt consult Elder Maxwell <laughs> We are told the perfect love casteth out fear. For all of us who still have some fears, how can this really occur? If our love of God is sufficiently deep, then we will be sufficiently assured of His enveloping, loving kindness. With this perspective, our fears can shrink. Dread can dissolve. Okay? Amid our small moments, we can know that what we are passing through can be for our good. We thus trust God sufficiently to trust in His perfect love for us, 
even when we do not know the full meaning of the difficult moment. That's why it is that when we go to Alma 32, what is, what is the seed that's being planted in our heart? Love. And as that love, and it starts sometimes very small, and then it's going to grow into a true life. And then it strengthens our faith. But the seed that's planted, remember, is love. Alright. Yeah. Well, and in fact, it's, it's interesting you'd mention that because in, when uh, just ahead of that, that's exactly what Mormon is saying, isn't he? Because he's saying, have authority from God, I fear not what man can do, therefore perfect love casteth out fear of what man can do. That's a good point. That's the practice makes perfect. Okay. All right, we're going to have to haul here. Uh, let's see before we get to more of I want to mention uh, two, last, two last points here. want to hop over to Moroni 9. Moroni 9 is probably the least favorite chapter in all the Book of Mormon. There's lots of stuff in Moroni 9. Which, by the way, why would, why would Mormon... Why would, first of all, Mormon write about all the horrible things that are happening and just awful things? And then why would Moroni take the time to include all this horrible stuff in Moroni 9? It's, it's kind of like studying the Holocaust. It really happened. So we need to be aware of it. So never again. That's right. Remember, if, you're a, if you are an Israeli pilot and you're getting your wings, what they'll do is they'll fly over Masada. Uh, as a reminder, never again will we be conquered. Uh, and, that's, and they'll always kind of tip their wings as they go over Masada. Uh, never again. Yeah. I think it's also, this is sort of the, the fruit of evilness. This is where, you know, we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. This is the fruits of wickedness. This is where it leads. And it's not comfortable and it's painful, but we're going to put it out there where you can see it. Okay? But out of here, though, there was a, a, a point that I wanted to jump on. And that is, if you're looking at 4 through 6, um, look at verse 4. Behold, I am laboring with these knuckleheads continually. <laughs> and when I speak the word of God with sharpness, they tremble in anger against me. You know, they're like teenagers, right? Unless I raise my voice, they're not listening to me. And when I use no sharpness, they harden their hearts against it. Therefore, I fear... That, uh, lest the Spirit of the Lord hath ceased striving with them. And ultimately, of course, the day of grace had passed. Verse 5. For so exceedingly do they anger, it seemeth to me that they have no fear of death. They have lost their love one towards another. Now, in this horrible circumstance, listen to what his counsel is. Verse 6. And now, my beloved son, notwithstanding their hardness, let us do what? 
labor diligently, even with these guys, and they just won't stop, and they're doing all of this bloodlust stuff, for if we should cease to labor, we might be brought unto condemnation. For we have a labor to perform whilst in this lit tabernacle of clay that we may conquer the enemy of all righteousness and rest our souls in the kingdom of God. I remember being young and in primary and we were very proud of ourselves and how many teachers we ran off. <laughs> we were very good at that. And I remember, I remember one particular time we had a brand new teacher and she called on one of my friends to give the closing prayer and I think he said... Heavenly Father, please bless, we'll have a new teacher next week. And we did. We were horrible. Um, and sometimes you're the primary teacher in that spot with a horrible class. And you're the one with the young women's class that won't listen to you. And you're the one that's just struggling. Uh, anybody ever tried to teach seminary every morning to a bunch of sleepy teenagers who want to sleep underneath the table? And so, and there are those times when we get, we are given callings that we love and bless our lives, and then there are times we're given callings that are the bane of our existence. And this is not a season of joy and happiness for us. Anybody who served as Relief Society president knows what I'm talking about. In answer to the question, why Yeah.
hunkered down in a frozen foxhole and everything. And, and he calls out and he goes, Soldier, what are you doing? And he called back, I'm serving until relieved. <laughs> and he had not yet been relieved. So they were still serving in the same spot until they were finally relieved. Okay? Well, there are seasons in our life. Sometimes as young mothers with little kids and you don't talk to adults for days. Nursery leaders. There are seasons where we serve until relieved. And, it, and it's not going to be the, the, the greatest joy, but we hang in there and we hang in there. And that is our and that is a trial. And sometimes we just have to do that. And it'd be nice if I think it's President Hinckley that talked about life as a railroad, you know, and it has wonderful vistas and then it goes down into valleys and stuff like that and then we have occasional vistas but not every trip is across the top of the mountains where all the vistas are. Okay? Alright, so I think that's basically what he's saying. Um, and I could, the, the wonderful thing is your Latter-day Saints. If I started to ask you all of the callings that weren't necessarily your greatest years of your life, you could tell me. You know, the, the times I think I remember Cindy and I charging home after after a, a sac after church one Sunday while I was in graduate school and we were at BYU uh, and sacrament meeting could only be described as hell. <laughs> There's no other description for the fact that you have 10,000 little kids all about the same age in the student ward. And my parents would come and they would just look at each other like... <laughs> Because it was just bedlam with kids all over the place. You know, and at that point, I believe that kids should be able to sit quietly in church and so we wouldn't bring any toys or children. <laughs> I wonder why it is that our daughter wouldn't sit quietly and then I would take her out and sit her in the hallway because I don't want it to be more fun, you know, outside of church. And so she's going to sit and cry in the coat room until she's done and then I'll take her back in with the bedlam exists. And I, I remember walking out of there at one point going, why do we even go to sacrament meeting? Why do we even, what What a waste of time I could give more. We, if we just put them down for a nap and we read our scriptures, life would be easier than that cacophony going on. time in any church, in any ward of the church, if you go out during sacrament meeting, you'll find harried parents watching their toddlers going back and forth down the hall. Okay? So some, we, have those, we have those moments. Okay. Time remaining. This is going to be a surprise to those of you who downloaded the uh, PowerPoint. It does look better when it says exhortations instead of extortations. <laughs> like Moroni had seven extortions that he was going to foist on us here. Okay. Um, what I wanted to do, uh, and, and, we, and we may continue some of this because I think it's going to include how to get answers to prayers that we'll talk about next week. Moroni is going to say in the top of verse... 10, verse 2, as I seal up these records, after I have spoken a few words by way of exhortation unto you. 
Okay? Then we're going to get seven exhortations. This is his last. And what is an exhortation? Listen. Encouragement. It comes pretty close to commandment and instruction. Do you think of exhortation kind of with an exclamation point? Okay. This is like, it's what? It's strongly by In fact, these are the seven. I'm going to give you exhortations, and I really, really, really want you to pay attention. When his father wanted to do an exhortation, he'd do it a couple ways, right? When Mormon is writing, he'd say, Remember? If he really wants you to pay attention, and thus we see, and thus we see, or the Savior would say, He who has eyes to see. He who has ears to hear. In other words, this is for, pay attention to these seven exhortations. And, I, and it was interesting, as I went through this, I actually pulled them out so that I could look at them. And there's a, there's a beautiful little pattern here in the way that he did this. It wouldn't have surprised me if somewhere Moroni had blocked these out, the things that he wanted us to know more than anything, and then he filled in around these seven. Okay? So, in the time remaining, I just want to go through these, re these exhortations. Number one, exhort you that when you shall receive these things, that you will remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men. From creation of Adam all the way down. Okay? Why is it important that we start all of this with understanding His mercy? What we just learned in Moroni 8 about child baptism. Do not deny the gift. Don't deny that he is merciful. I just think it's fascinating. We didn't get a chance to get here. In, in Ether 6, when he's talking about the barges, and he goes, we got... Take, take just a second. This is perfect for this. Hop back just a second. Back to Ether... Look at verse 5. It came to pass, the Lord God caused there should be a furious wind blow upon the face of the waters towards the promised land, and they were tossed upon the waves of the sea before the wind. Whoa! You just hit it inside the boat. Okay? They're being pushed. Then it says, verse 8, and it came to pass that the wind did what? Never ceased to blow. Ah, they're just riding this thing and sometimes they're down with the whales and sometimes they're up and it's like we need air oh it's water wrong side <laughs> and so this just goes on and on and on and then we get verse 11 and thus they were driven how long? 344 days upon the water we are at sea for a year in a storm when, when Cindy and I were on the, uh, our cruise back in February and, and we were in the very bottom of the boat, the boat would keep going. Because <laughs> we kept hitting these <clears throat> waves and we thought the, the ship was going to break. Okay? We're smarter. We upgraded this time so we're not in the bottom of the boat. <laughs> 344 days of being hauled around on this thing. 
with the wind always blowing and a storm at sea for a year. And then listen to this, verse 12. They did land on the shore, the promised land. They set their feet. They bowed themselves upon the face of the land and humbled themselves to the Lord and did shed tears of joy before the Lord because of the multitude of His tender mercies. I would have been pretty grumpy after... <laughs> You've heard the old joke, haven't you, about uh, for uh, men are trying... This guy's trying to say, how do you know who's your best friend, your wife, or your dog? If you're not sure, put them both in the trunk for an hour and then wait and see the, the reaction when you open the trunk. <laughs> I would be like, I would be like the wife in the trunk after an hour going, okay, there's no happiness and light when I'm crawling out of here. <laughs> Okay, we have to start with this whole thing about mercy. None of this works unless you recognize how merciful the Lord has been. And then it's going to be tied to verse 2 and exhort that you would ask God. Does it make it easier to ask God if you know how merciful He's been? Because you are praying to a God of mercy. Which is hard, again, when I think back what I do professionally, how many of you may not have grown up in happy homes. Or you grew up where priesthood holders weren't at their best. Or there were no priesthood holders. Or, you know, when you're trying to address yourself to a Heavenly Father, and if you've had a destructive father in your life, that's a job. <coughs> I exhort you that ye deny not the gifts of God. How can you get an answer to prayers if you're not if you're going to deny the gifts? And the gift to you include gift of grace, gift of mercy, gift of charity, gift of the Holy Ghost. What is the what is the temple endowment? What's an endowment? It's a gift. They're all gifts. They've all been given to us. What did we do to deserve grace? Mercy. Charity. He loves us anyway. Isn't that cool? So do not deny the gifts of God. Then he's going to exhort you that you remember that every good gift cometh of Christ. Number five, exhort you that you remember that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is this important? Yeah. When I look in the Scriptures and I see everything that He did for the children of Israel or for the Nephites, He'll do that same thing for me. He is unchangeable. He, he's been given gifts all the way along. Yeah, and it's easy for us, we know that it's going to be for our best good, because when we're in the boat, and we've been in a storm of sea for six months, we lose perspective. If you've been in the nursery for a long time, you might lose perspective. <laughs> when you're a single, when you're a single mom or a young mom, and you're raising kids on your own, and you haven't talked to adults in days, you lose perspective. 
But when we look at these things, we say there is an ending point. There is a time that people change things. Kids grow up. Colleagues change. I, I get better at what I'm doing. The financial stuff we're going through has an end at some point. And if I can look in the scriptures, I can see these instances. That's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I'm looking so forward to this winter. When we start talking about the Doctrine and Covenants, with a really large dose of church history, since so that's one of my my uh, little pet things that I just love is church history. When we start looking at that, it's one thing if we're talking about Paul and Peter and Nephi. It's another thing when we're talking about Wilford Woodruff and Brigham Young and people that you can go look at their grave. They're they're close. They're immediate, and you're going to see the wonderful things that the Lord did for very very flawed people and lifted them above themselves to be who we, to turn them into prophets. We get to see, Joseph Smith is the most perfect example of a flawed individual who was lifted above the, the, the young schoolboy to become everything that he was going to be. And we get to see his warts, but we always get to see his glories and visions. It's just fascinating to me. And, I, and I'm really looking forward to that. Number six, exhort you to remember these things that you'll know what? I lie not. What's he say? Trust me. And I bear you my testimony that I don't lie. I've read all these things. I've done all those things. And then, can you almost imagine him saying this to the prophet Joseph? You know, here's what's going to happen. Don't give these plates to anybody else. And I lie not. You will be toast if you do. Okay, and then finally, exhort you that you would come unto Christ and lay hold upon every good gift. Let me just let me just finish by asking, how do we do that? How do you lay hold of every good gift? Because in the middle of this, there, there's all these gifts of the Spirit, and we're not taking time to go through them today. Only three places in the Scriptures. List the gifts of Spirit. This is one. How do you lay hold of every good gift? Grateful heart. Yes. He talked about this. I was thinking about. I was listening to Elder Iron last night. He was talking about gifts. And so did uh, President Newport as well. Okay? Yeah. I think executive gift too is when you have that fear, just do it. Yes. And just accepting and moving ahead. Remember, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 12 when he's talking about, he lists the gifts of the Spirit, and then at the end of that he says, so I've shown you all these. Now I will show you the best gift. I want you, in fact, I want you to covet earnestly the best gift. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And then it turned out that the best gift was 1 Corinthians 13. Though I, though I speak with sounding brass and tinkling cymbal and I have not charity, I am nothing. Charity, the, the pipeline of grace. Here comes the love of God flowing down. Inside that love of God is all the gifts that we're talking about. Wrong. 
children. And in bringing those gifts to them, bless the lives of others, not to, not to go ourselves like hearing a lot of that too. Brothers and sisters, I, I, uh, the Book of Mormon is uh, the most perfect book on earth. It is, uh, it is a gift in and of itself. It was sealed. It was brought forth. Uh, it is wonderful. And no other book has the spirit that the Book of Mormon does. It is the gift of the Spirit to us. And by the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can know the truth of all things. I bear you my testimony that it's true. I bear you my testimony that Moroni lived, that he wrote these things, and that He's exhorting us with all the feeling of a tender parent to quote Lehi. To, to accept the gifts that he's given us. In this holiday season, I pray that we can do that. Accept those gifts and use it to bless our lives and the lives of those around us. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.